All right, well, here we are. It is Dr. Todd Bolsinger. Uh, Todd, you are known quite well for many of our jewelers. They are now being called affiliates as of this moment, uh, but you've been a big part of helping us get to this point. I'm so excited about us having this conversation today and you pouring into our people. So thank you, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me on this Zoom. It's well, it's really a privilege, Brett. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be with you on this historic day for all of you. That's right. Yeah. And I wish you could be here with us in, in person, but hey, we know how that's going right now. So I hope mm -hmm. you and your family are doing great in the midst of it. Um, I got to tell you, before we dig in, this book right here um, has, you know, the story, you know, that I've told people, it's kind of funny because it was Mike Glenn, who is, you know, we actually... Tim Horner, our president, always jokes, Mike Glenn's the guy that gets paid to pray around here. Uh, uh -huh. He's the head of our prayer services, and he goes, he's a big part of First Baptist Church Arlington, and I think it was maybe late last year or uh, early this year, somewhere in there. You did some work with that church. Mike got to meet you, and he came back talking about this book and saying, you got to read it. Um, and I was like, Canoeing the Mountains, that is the weirdest title I've ever heard in my life. And why is the guy from prayer services telling me what kind of leadership book I need to be reading? But we did it anyway, and I'm so glad that we did. So I can't wait to dig into some of the principles that you have in, in this. Yeah, well, I'm glad to do so. It's been really fun. I, I like working with uh, entrepreneurial pastors, and I like working with entrepreneurs that have a cause that is bigger than themselves. So it's a, it's a good place to think about that. Yeah, and when I say it's meant a lot, I mean, I've never... I've never highlighted a book as much as I have this one. It truly is. I feel like it's the most practical leadership book I've ever read. So I'm, I, anyway, I'll stop fanboying over that for a second and we can dig into this for everybody else. Yeah, indeed. indeed. <laughs> Good. Well, tell us a little bit about you. Like, tell us just a little bit about your, your background, the work you've done, family, but, you know, lead us up to what led to doing this work in Canoeing the Mountains. Yeah. So um, I was, um, so I'm a Presbyterian pastor, right? And for uh, 27 years, I served in two, basically two congregations uh, for 10 years on the staff at First Presbyterian Church of Hollywood. Uh, my pastor, Lloyd Ogilvie, went on to be the chaplain of the United States Senate, and I was part of the transition team. I was pretty young, and before I knew it, I was uh, helping fill the pulpit at, when I was 30 years old at this historic church. And a couple of years later, um, I was asked to become the senior pastor at San Clemente Presbyterian Church, where I served for 17 years, raised my kids. Um, my wife is a marriage and family therapist and an artist and an executive coach. She's the real genius of the family. And um, I've got a son who is uh, 27 and lives in Seattle and a daughter who lives in Austin, Texas, and is on the staff of a church doing youth ministry in Austin uh, with her husband. They live there. And um, after 27 years in the the church, I was starting to do more coaching and consulting with uh, leading change in our denomination. Our denomination was one of those large denominations that was in decline. And so there was a lot of conversation about leading change. I ended up leading a national um, a conversation with our denomination. And after a bit that led me to go to Fuller Seminary, where I've been on, I'm now about to start my third different startup venture at the seminary uh, for the last seven years. And Canoeing the Mountains really came out of my deep love for the church and my deep love for saying there are the things that are most important need to endure, but for them to endure, they need to change. And those come, that's kind of competing values of how our deepest values endure but have to adapt led me into a deep dive into what's called adaptive leadership. 
And the story of Lewis and Clark became a story that helped me make sense of that for lots of people. And for the past uh, five years or so, I've been traveling around the country talking about adaptive leadership in a changing world. Wow. Well, it's really good work. And, you know, I, I, I'm having some fun with it here. You know, the title canoeing the mountains again on the surface, it's like, what in the world does that mean? Out of context, I'm like, oh my goodness. But when you, it within context, it's one of the best metaphors I've ever heard. You know, it really, it's like it captures, I've had this conversation, even with our people here, it's like, hey, you're holding the canoe. Uh, you yeah. know, what, what do we got to do here? So give us just a quick overview. We're going to dig in deeper, but when we talk canoeing the mountains, what does that mean? And I'm even curious, how did you even get to like, Hey, this is what the title of the book's got to be. Yeah. So, so the story basically of behind it, a historical story. So um, is that um, when Thomas Jefferson purchased the Louisiana purchase, um, he, the point was to find a, the water route that would connect the Pacific ocean to the Atlantic ocean. And, and this was something that ever, that European nations had been working on for 300 years. It was really critically important. If you wanted to be able to have goods and services that, that could serve people in Europe and most of the raw materials were in other parts of the world, then the most important thing was creating a supply chain that would not be interrupted. And taking raw material over land is much more difficult than taking it over water. And so that led to, you know, literally nations competing um, for trying to claim that water route. And it also meant that like a lot of things, mistakes were made and people were treated badly in some ways and met very badly in other ways. But when Jefferson sent a uh, Lewis and Clark to find a water route. They were trying to connect the Mississippi River to the Pacific Ocean through the Missouri River. And everybody assumed that if you traveled all the way up the Missouri River, you would connect to the Columbia River on the other side, and then we would have a water route. And if this young little nation that was feeling very fragile because Great Britain was still interested in them, if they could claim that water route, that would be like owning, well, the internet today. <laughs> and so they were trying to claim that and grab that. And after 18 months of traveling upstream, these guys who were expert water navigators came to a place between Idaho and Montana called the Lemhi Pass. They took their canoes out of the stream. They believed they were going to have a half a day of carrying their canoes into another stream where they would then get to go downstream. And after going downstream, they would float all the way to the Pacific Ocean. They would declare victory. They would take a selfie and send it back to Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> they would turn around and they would head home and they will have discovered the Northwest Passage. And there would be a water route that would be good for their economic survival and thriving as a country. And as you know, the story from history, they walked up the side of the Lemhi Pass. They looked over to find the Columbia River. And what they found was the Rocky Mountains. Now, what's interesting to me about that story, Brett, is that um, two things. Number one is they'd spent the winter with the Mandan tribe in North Dakota. And they asked the Mandan who knew this area, you know, is there a river on the other side? We, we've heard there is. Boats had come from the Pacific Ocean. Yes, there is. But you're going to have to go over mountains. And what they said was mountain mountains. We're from Virginia. We're really good at mountains. It's a little bit like the very first time I was ever in Texas, I was taken to the Texas Hill Country. Right. And I was told, like, we're going to a camp in the Texas Hill Country. And I kept looking, and I couldn't find a hill. <laughs> because the idea of what a hill is in Texas, it's pretty different than what a hill is in California, where we have the Sierra Nevadas, right? And so in my mental, the mental model of these guys was, oh, we can probably drag our canoes over mountains that look like the Shenandoah Mountains. They had no idea that when they said mountains, what they meant was 
14,000 foot peaks that would stretch on for 300 miles and that there would be no water route. They were water guys, they were canoers and their job was to find a water route and they've hit, hit mountains. How do you canoe over mountains? And the answer of course is you don't. And the other part of the story that's always so interesting to me is if you've ever spent any time in, you know, uh, Eastern Colorado, like folks in Texas love Colorado, right? So on a clear day, you know that you can see those Rocky Mountains a long way ahead. Like they'd seen them for three months, three months, they were staring them in the face. But Meriwether Lewis writes in his journal, I refuse to believe this will be anything but a safe and comfortable path. Wow. Which reminds us that when the world changes and when our expectations are not met, we tend to go into denial. We tend to assume the past is our guide to the future. We assume that everything in front of us is going to be just like it was behind us. So if you say mountains, they're like the mountains we know. We assume that what is familiar, if we've been experts in the past, we will be successful in the future. And we assume that our, what we're seeing with our eyes makes sense to us and that we will go into denial when it's dramatic change. And that's been the place that I've spent most of my life trying to work with nonprofits and churches and companies about this rapidly changing world that is really different in the future than it was in the past and that we really can't be in denial about or we're going to be in trouble. Wow. I want to dig into that more. I've got, uh, I want to ask one quick question too. And, and you mentioning the Texas Hill Country, I can't help but chuckle. I was born and raised in, in Kentucky. Um, I've been here since 95, so I'm, I'm te full Texan now, but I had the same thing. You, you hear about the, the Texas Hill Country and you're like, uh, I mean, it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I like it, but um, you know, Hill Country, you know. It's so gorgeous, anyway. but I kept, when I saw a sign that, that said we're heading to the Texas Hill Country and I kept looking for hills, I thought we have a long drive in front of us. <laughs> so. That's right. I have to ask, so what came first, the obsession with adaptive leadership and then Lewis and Clark became the best example of that? Or was there this pre-existing interest in Lewis and Clark and then it led into other things? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. In the work that I was doing in my church, we had gone through 15 years of consecutive growth and we were doing really well at, by every measure that people were talking about. We were growing, we doubled in size, we had people who were excited, but there was this internal struggle that was beginning to happen. I, I realized one day that my most committed people were getting less committed. Things were going, you know, up into the right, as they say, in terms of business, but in terms of all the numbers, but it wasn't, the morale was going down and I couldn't figure it out. And I ended up studying and having a person come in to coach with me to talk about adaptive leadership. And really what adaptive leadership is really acknowledging that when your environment changes, healthy organisms learn how to adapt without losing their core identity. Mm. So a healthy person, a healthy body, a healthy community, and I, I tend to think of churches particularly as the body of Christ. It's a community. They adapt to their changing environment without losing their core identity. You don't want to lose who you really are. You, you stop being. So for a company or for a church, that's the mission. So if the mission doesn't change, our reason for being, the reason we get up in the morning, the gift we give into the world, it doesn't change. And if anything, it deepens in time of change. But if you want that to continue in a changing environment, you have to adapt. Well, I had studied 
this and it made it really resonated with me because it really made sense and and I was using it and working with a group and I was trying to explain it I'm, I'm and I'm an old preacher so I needed an illustration so I just happened to see a documentary on Lewis and Clark that Ken Burns did and it totally made sense to me and I happened to ha have a little house a vacation house that we use a cabin in Idaho and so I love that section of the country anyway so um, it became just like a labor of love trying to explain uh, how you explain these concepts of adaptive leadership to people so that they kind of came together that way oh, that's awesome and I love how you talked about you know you kind of defining adaptive leadership and you know as we're we're airing this for our, our people today it is August 1st it is the full day we've been you know we're transitioning from premier designs to devoted we've been kind of uh, having fun with it saying August 1st we will be fully devoted um, mm -hmm. and so that's where we are so you're talking right now to a bunch of people who you know are we have been going through this with us. They're prepared for it. They're excited about it. And, you know, the whole purpose behind Devoted is who are we? What are we at our core? Yep. But how do we adapt beyond that? And, and I feel like and I hope that we're going to succeed in that. But it doesn't make the process of adapting necessarily any easier. Um, mm -hmm. So what can you do? How can you help these new affiliates today? Day one mm -hmm. of their new job um, in the midst of all of this encourage them, empower them, equip them. What do they need to keep in mind right now? Yeah. So, so let, let's think about this in, in like three ways um, that will be helpful, I think, um, on this first, this, this day one, as we would call it, right? Yeah. On day one, the very first thing you have to be is really do a deep gut check about why we exist. What are we really about? And very often what happens in a moment of disruption is you have to ask the even the most deeper questions. So Lewis and Clark were sent to find a water route. Their job was to canoe their way to the Pacific Ocean. What they discovered at that moment was a disruption that made that task impossible. There wasn't a water route. So one of the questions I always ask is, why didn't they just turn around and go home? Why didn't they go back and tell Jefferson if the entire economic um, thriving of this fledgling United States of America was built on a water route and there wasn't a water route, you'd think they would want to go home and tell them as quickly as possible, change your plans, change your economic models, right? That's <laughs> not going to work, right. but they didn't. And the other part, remember, is they were military guys. They were used to following orders and they had a very clear set of orders. So why'd they keep going? And the answer is, is because they actually had a deeper set of values than economic thriving. And the way they knew this was because Meriwether Lewis had been personally mentored by Thomas Jefferson. And he knew Thomas Jefferson's deepest values. And their values, they're not exactly my values, but, but their values were enlightenment values. And what they really believed was the growth of human knowledge would lead to the growth of human happiness. And since this nation was founded on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, trying to have the growth of human happiness is a deep core value. So what Lewis knew at that moment is that what Jefferson would want him to do was pursue the deeper value. And I think that for almost every co company, a time of disruption is the opportunity to check your values. If the only reason that you're in business is to make money, a day is going to come when that's going to go away. 
But if even your business, your company, your organization, it has to exist for something bigger than your own institutional or organizational survival. And even at a church and in a seminary, I've learned this one the hard way, that you have to spend time focusing on something that is actually deeper than your own thriving as an institution, an organization, or a company. And that's what they had to discover at that moment. So really, this is really the moment I would say that for everybody who's signing up here, this is a moment to do a deep gut check. And that really, you're, at, you're gonna say to a whole bunch of people who are canoers, we're going forward and you were brought on this journey because you were really good at paddling and now there ain't no water. So the question you gotta ask is, do you care more about exploring or paddling? Do you, care, do you care more about going forward and discovering a new world? Or do you care more about shooting rapids and keeping your canoes? And you gotta remember, these are folks who all were expert water folks. I can tell you stories about that, that they, the Native American folks thought they were better at the rivers than they were. Like they were so good at this. And most of, they built their own boats out of their own hands. They invented a boat for this trip. And to set all that aside, like literally to drop the canoes, and to drop the boats was huge. And if you came on the a trip because you're an expert water person and all of a sudden we tell you there isn't any water, now what does this mean? It means you've got to change everything about your identity, your understanding, your purpose. And you got to, it's a gut check time. So I think this is a good day to do it. I'm, this is a place where I'm, I'm not a rah-rah person. I think that to, to get the resilience to move forward, you have to have a clear grounded purpose. That's, that's the first place to start with. Well, and, and that's so great because I, I would have to assume too, part of it, their confidence must have just plummeted, you know, in their identity, right? Hey, I'm a water man, but there's no water, you know? Yep. So, and again, I know some in the, in, that are listening to this right now, they're like, Hey, I was amazing at the way we used to do things before. I don't know, you know, uh, how I'm going to be, it, you know, those doubts are there. So yeah. I think it's so important to, to, to dig into this and pursue yeah. those deeper values. Well, and so when your confidence plummets, then what you need now is the second part. So if the first thing is a gut check, the second one is you, this is a moment of deep humility. It's a time for learning. Adaptive change is built on two things. It requires learning. And it literally requires learning where you don't know what's next. In one sense, there are no best practices. And, and this is what I'm, I spend my entire time around the country talking to groups, organizations, churches. If anybody tells you they have a perfect plan, immediately know they are lying. If anybody tells you I can solve this problem and I'm the only one who can, they are lying. And the way you know they're lying is because we have never been here before. We are in a moment today that is 1918, 1929, and 1968 all rolled up into one day. We have a pandemic. We have a global recession that is heading toward a depression in some places. And we have issues about justice and protests that are being raised that need to be taken, uh, taken into account all at the same time, disrupting everything, which means there isn't any way forward except for humility and learning as you go. So having people that you deeply trust who are going to learn as you go, who are going to let you experiment, who are going to let you fail and, and come up because they're going to learn something is really important in that sense. So that's, so when you feel um, the lack of confidence, this is the moment to become a learner and learners inherit the earth. Uh, Eric Hoffer says that learners inherit the earth and the learned find themselves beautifully equipped for a world that no longer exists. And if you find yourself wanting to tell stories about how great you were uh, back in the old days, you know, 2018, 
<laughs> then know that you are pure, beautifully equipped for the for the rivers and not for the mountains. So that's the learning as a second one. And I'll just say the third one, and then we can dive in deeper. The third one is adaptive change is always experienced with loss. If you built those canoes out of Europe with your own hands and you have to drop them, it's painful. If you got to burn them on the wayside because you need to use them for firewood, it's even more painful. So one of the things that's needed at this time is for companies and organizations to become really good at caring for each other because we're experiencing loss. We can, we can be really excited about the future. We're going to press on. Like we're going to say, look, tomorrow we're starting a brand new day. But even as you move forward, you're going to be looking back at those canoes piled back up there. You're going to wish you were in a different day. It's normal. And if you don't acknowledge the losses along the way, and especially if you're working with other people, if you're leading other people who have losses, then what's going to happen is really quickly, you're going to have a demoralized group. So you need to, so you need to have a, do a deep gut check about what's most important. You need to be humble and open to learning as you go, which takes deep amounts of trust. And then you actually need to confront the losses and care for each other as you're moving forward, but you're going to move forward. Yeah. I want to, I want to camp out on that for a second, because again, just acknowledging that it's going to happen. Yep. You know, that feeling of loss we're going to experience. It's not just a feeling. There's, a, there's actual real loss, right? Yeah. There's something yeah. that's going away. Um, and, and we've talked about that uh, quite a bit, but just talking about it, hey, that doesn't mean it's been addressed, right? So it's going to come up. It's going to continue to come up. And that doesn't mean you're not excited about the future, but it also, they're not, you know, they're, they can be separate things, right? I can be excited about the future and I can miss how things used yeah. to be. Oh, without question. I mean, I mean, it's, it's so, it's, example, even in my own life, this, this is the thing we're doing right here today. We, I mean, I would guess that six months ago, we wouldn't have dreamed that on the day that you're rolling out your brand new company, you'd be having your keynote speaker be a person sitting on a, on a video conference. Because right. on March 13, I came back from my last trip. And on that Friday the 13th, I, uh, not only did I get off a, tr a plane for the last time since then, but I had 15 speaking engagements canceled in the next week. Wow. What I also discovered though was within, as now I have done 32 online since then. So all of a sudden I realized there was a whole new world that opened up, but I gotta tell you, I would much rather be sitting with all you folks going and having lunch together, talking, being together than I would be doing this on Zoom. Yeah. But I do recognize that this world is changing. There are opportunities. There's ways that we can in, in, be involved and connect with each other we wouldn't see. But it's not going to be the same. So there is loss and there is growth at the same time. And you got to just hold them both at the same time. Yeah. So what would your advice be as someone, hey, sometime in the next weeks or months, we're all going to have the, uh, uh, you know, it's going to, we're going to really feel the, the, the loss. Yeah. So when that happens, uh, what should we do? What I say that moment is what you do with the loss is you, for, for one thing, you acknowledge it. I, I, um, I spent a lot of my time with the Silicon Valley folks. I've done a lot of learning with these folks. And there was, there's a little thing about, you know, you fake it till you make it. I don't believe that for a second. I don't think you fake it till you make it. I think what you do is you acknowledge it. And then you say the most powerful world, word in the world, which is the word, nevertheless. Ooh. Nevertheless, I am, I am deeply saddened. I missed the other days. I liked what we used to do, but nevertheless, we're going to proceed on. And when, when Mary Weather Lewis went over the Lem High Pass, all he wrote in his journal when he saw 300 miles of mountains was, we proceeded on. One of his men wrote, those were the most terrible mountains we ever beheld. And I think that's your combination. 
we acknowledge those are the most terrible mountains we ever beheld, but we are proceeding on. This is really hard. Nevertheless, we're taking the next step. And I think what it causes us to do is to grow closer to each other. So I always say what I need for to be resilient, my new book coming out in November is all on resilience. And what's really clear is resilient leaders are people who are not alone. They are able to be vulnerable and they are able to be well held in relationships. So this is the moment when I don't need a pep talk. I just need someone to say, I'm going to be with you on the journey. It's going to be hard, but we're going to be there together. And we're going to learn as we go. I think nothing fuels us more than knowing that we're learning. If you experience that I am growing, I am discovering. I, I said this, my, we're talking on Zoom. My, my mother, was a, well, she was a principal of an elementary school. She's a very competent professional woman. I grew up with her, one of my heroes. I, I love women leaders because my mother was an incredible woman leader. But when I couldn't get her on Facebook, I just would say, like, I'd say, your grandkids are on Facebook. You're like, like I, I want to get you a, an iPhone. She wouldn't do anything. The pandemic hits. Her granddaughter got her on Zoom. Now my mother, 78 years old, talks about, she proudly de declares, I'm a Zoomer and I get all the PEO ladies in my group on Zoom and I'm, and I'm the one who helps the older women, she says at 78, about the women who are in their 80s and 90s, right? Because she has, is energized because of necessity. She didn't want to get on Facebook. She didn't want to be, have an iPhone, but because of necessity, she gets on Zoom and now you can see the pride and the excitement and the energy. And so again, it's, it's not minimizing the pain, but it's pressing on. Well, th those are great examples. And I do, I want to, I want to kind of look now at the flip side of that. Uh, yes, we're going to, we've experienced loss. We're going to, but there's also a ton of excitement oh, yeah. uh, in place right now with where we're going and what we're doing. And, and to be quite honest, and you and I were talking about this before we started recording, you know, the circumstances of the pandemic and anything as, as challenging as that is in a lot of ways, it has made uh, everyone listening right now. So thankful that, Hey, We've got a we've got a plan. It, again, it might not be a perfect plan, but it, not all figured out. But hey, we've at least got a vision of where we're going, and so thankful that we do. So I'm wondering, as someone's listening to this now, and they're like, "I'm I am so jazzed. I'm I am just ready to go." But then they might experience some folks that it's not about loss, but it's more about oh, I don't get it yet, or yep. um, that's different, or yep. anything like that. So in this case, hey, they're sold, but they're having to help lead. Uh, someone else, um, yep. what do they need to keep in mind? Yes. Yeah, so one of the things that I've been talking about is this goes back to the notion of, of dealing with loss, but think of it this way. Um, in, in every company, they now know the people who excel in a company are people with high emotional intelligence, right? So your IQ usually gets you your first job. Hey, great resume. You have a great GPA, way to go. But it is your EQ, your emotional intelligence, your ability to attune to other people that helps you to progress. And people, especially people in sales, learn this, right? You learned the better you listen and you try to sol help solve their problem rather than push your product, the better you're going to do, right? So, so attunement accelerates change. Mm. Attunement accelerates change. So what do you do with folks who are this way? You don't try to sell them or cheer or rah-rah them or shame them into getting excited. Instead, you attune to where they are and you lead them through the process. And, and attunement and accompaniment are very powerful. Uh, it, we know this from brain science. If I experience that you understand me, 
what happens in our brains is our brains actually start firing together at the same time. And so we are attuned. I feel like, I feel like you understand me. We're okay. And when you say, Hey, let's take our next step. Let's move forward. I go, okay, I'll go with you. You're going to accompany me forward. So attunement and accompaniment are two big words that basically just means get close to people, help them help listen to them deeply, listen to them and walk them through the process. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, and I love that too. And I, I think I shared with you, but one of the ways I define leadership a lot of times is having the courage to take the next step yourself and then yeah. the willingness to help someone else do it too. Yeah. Beautiful. And there's yeah. really no, there's no talent or skill in that. There's just, you know, anyone can do that. And so, yep. and I think for us, that's so important, especially, you know, the subtitle of your book is Christian leadership in uncharted territory. And I know, mm. you know, I always liken what we have done in the direct sales side and, and, and leading a church, you know, very similar because you're dealing with volunteer armies. You know, there's yeah. sure we pay compensation to people for doing things, but, you know, very few of them is that their full time job. This is just something they, they like to do. They enjoy do. They might not even be doing it because of income. And so they're they're volunteers. They can just check out any time. So. How is leadership of a volunteer army uh, different than leadership in a corporate environment? Well, so, so I, um, I do my work with the Max Dupree Center at Fuller Seminary, and Max Dupree famously said that the most important thing you can do is to treat every employee as if they are a volunteer. And the reason for that is when, when a person it works for, uh, the, as an employee, it, then all you control is their time. Do they clock in? Do they clock out? Do they use their time well? You need them to volunteer their heart, their intelligence, their creativity. So really all of us are dealing with volunteer cores of people, volunteer armies, volunteer workforces. And what you're really trying to do is capture people's hearts. You, you want people to be fulfilling their mission in life, their vision in life by participating with you. And this is, I think, is really important, especially in a day where people have lots of options and where people are thinking more and more and more about what's worth my time and what's worth my energy. The answer is whatever strikes deepest to my own ability. So when I work with the folks on my team, I mean, I've worked in churches my whole life or in, or in a seminary. I can never pay market rate. I can't, I can't, there's not a single person that I can save on salary. I mean, I, if, if somebody wants to come and poach any of my team, they can get it just by getting a bit more money. I have to get their hearts. I got to get them committed to our mission and I got to have them committed to what we're trying to accomplish in the world. Yeah. Well, that's good. I think it's, you know, let's take the other side of that. So uh, Devoted is a company built on biblical principles. Many of the people listening mm -hmm. now profess to be Christians live their life that way. Um, is there anything you talk about Christian leadership? Is there anything specifically there that, uh, you know, we need to think about differently or be aware of maybe more than others? Well, I think the most important thing to recognize as Christians is that our calling, our mission is to participate in the creator God's wor uh, work to make this world the way it's supposed to be. That means justice for everyone. That means life for everyone. It means life abundant. It means really creating. It's, 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 it's for me, I wake up every morning praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. And where whatever little part of your earth that I'm going to inhabit today, whether it's sitting here in my office in Pasadena talking with you, or whether it is talking to my neighbors as I walk my dog, or whether it is being um, in, volunteering in my church, 
wherever on this creation that you've put me to be, my job is to contribute to your mission, God, which is to see that your reign is done, your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And so for me, everything, including business is about that. Everything's about that. That's the larger reason. That's why we're in business. That's why we live. That's our, that's our vocation as Christians. And, it does, and there's not a sacred secular divide. We're not about souls going to heaven. We're about the world and life being made new. And that's why we see the imagery I love. I mean, I'm an old preacher, so you can stop me anytime. But, but you know, when you, get to, when you get to Revelation, what you see is people is wor- the world made new. Tears wiped away, justice being done, life being given. It is a wedding feast. I mean, the very one of the very last things we, we did before the shutdown was we did my daughter's wedding in Austin, Texas. You know, that wedding feast I have feasted on for the last six months <laughs> because the memories of it. And that picture of a day of deep celebration, of unity, of love, of family, that's what the world is supposed to be. And whatever we do, whatever our work is, it is to contribute to that. Wow. You know, one of the, one of the quotes from your book, one of the many things I highlighted in the book was, uh, has to do with this because I think sometimes it's, I bet there's tons of people right now that are saying, yes, amen, brother. That's awesome. I totally agree. But there's something even inside of me that says, ah, uh, if I'm going to stick to God's way, that that means I need to hold on to things that have been done before. Right. Because it's from the beginning, but one of your quotes, and I love it, says, we are called to adapt in a changing world because we are called to reach a changing world. Um, so, again, it just brings to light even more on, hey, it, when the mission's clear, then we adapt, right? Yep. Even, yep. even at the spiritual level. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and we see this all over the place, right? We see this even in the scriptures. So, one of, my, one of the, so I'll give you just a quick little example. I work in education. So, what has gotten totally disrupted in the last few weeks? education, Um, you know, classrooms. So the question you got to ask is, are we committed to classrooms or are we committed to education? What happens if we can't go back to, to back to school? What happens if there's not going to be classrooms where people can gather safely in the, in the fall? Um, Does that mean we stop educating? No, we take what we figure out how to do it. And I think Paul's a good example. People, I, I do a lot of online education and I've often asked the question, people have said to me, well, of course you can educate people, but you really can't disciple them or form them or spiritually form them at a distance. I said, well, if only we had a biblical example of people being formed in Christ over distance using technology, wouldn't that be great? And they go, yeah, that's kind of silly. Well, what do you call a Paul's letter yeah. being taken over distance by a Timothy while Paul was sheltering in place in a Roman prison. So the letter became a new technology for discipleship. What do we have today? We have the internet. We have relationships with the world we're going to live in is going to be high tech and high touch. And in the touch means connection of people, even if it doesn't mean physically being together. It's going to be about high trust. I said it's everything is going to be high tech, high touch, high trust. And if you can create organizations and businesses that have those things done well, well, then you're going to keep going forward. It's funny you say that even in, in our world, you know, the last few months during the pandemic, we've had people who, again, you can imagine when you are relying on home shows and no one's leaving the house, um, that's difficult. And yet we have had so many uh, 
who have actually, their, their, the retail that they've done in April, May, June has been more. Why? Because they took hold of what we're doing now. They said, I, I'm going to find a way. And not only did they find a way to make ends meet, they found a way they actually excelled in this. Now, some yeah. didn't and yeah. some chose not to. And some, yeah. you know, and that's totally, again, you get to make that choice. Yeah. But I think it's such an amazing reminder. And you kind of touched on it earlier on every challenge presents an opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Yeah. Yep. And so well, we- and one thing to think about is, is the home show itself was a radical innovation at the time. You don't have to have a store. You don't have to have a company. You don't have to have a, a Sears catalog. Like, what do you, what do you do? Well, you, here's a way we'll use our relationships and we'll serve the people around us in our relationships. Great. So if we focus on relationships and we focus on actually serving people rather than, you know, pushing things on people and we actually get to listen to their pain points and try to serve them. And we, we do so with a greater vision then okay what will be the next version? I don't know what it'll be, I don't, but it'll be an, adapt, an adaptation. Right. That's wonderful. Well, I, I tell you what, there's one other thing. There's, there's something you, you cite often in the, in the book, you know, the, uh, the quote of today's problems are from yesterday's solutions, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. And I know, you know, deeper in the book, you say this, not only do we default to our training, but we also run home to mama too. That is, in times of stress or change, if we do not deliberately and consciously pay attention to what we're doing, we will default and run to what is known, familiar and embedded within the organizational life. This is normal coping. This just happens. So yeah. um, in the midst of the excitement of, of what we're going through now, in the midst of that, we are still, we're a startup company with a 35-year history. Um, and so... The default is that we have to be aware of is we're going to keep being tempted to go back to what we've done and what we've known. How can we move past that? Yeah. So, so, you know, so you're a startup company with a 35 year um, history. I'm a startup person in an 1100 year old company <laughs> history, right? That's what seminary education is. It came out of monasteries, right? So, um, so seminary education came out of monasteries. So if my job is to help form Christian leaders to be able to go serve in churches, you know, these are people, there was a way of doing it that came out of the monastery. Now that for 1100 years, that meant there was a model that we're all familiar with. Somebody becomes a doctor of education, a, a PhD, who is the expert who teaches. What do you do today when most people are saying, I don't have the money or time or interest in moving my family, taking on debt and going to a campus that feels like a monastery. I need to be educated where I am already serving, right? That disruption is huge. Here's the part going back to your familiar. Whenever you're doing something familiar, your anxiety goes down down because it feels like you're at home, right? Family and familiar are the same root word. So whenever I'm anxious, what I want to do is go back to what's familiar. What you have to do at that moment instead is surround yourself with people who will together say, we are going to go forward. What's familiar is this group of people. We are going to discover this together so that we're going to become more and more comfortable with each other as we're experimenting and learning and moving into the future. But know that your anxiety is going to want to push you back. And what you actually need is to hold each other in that uncertainty and move forward. Yeah. Well, the beauty is the way that we do business around here is, is, I mean, people coming together like that is so critical and important and they're good at it. Our people are so good at that. So I just want to encourage everyone to continue doing it, right? Yeah. Um, Continue to do that. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap this up as much as I hate to do it, but I want to give you the opportunity as we go through it and there's, 
you know, I've heard some people who do podcasts, they, they really cover themselves. I, there's one I listen to in particular. His last question is always, is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have, you know, which is like the, the ultimate uh, lack of accountability there. But as we think about, you know, we're sitting here as a group, we're excited, we're facing the mountain. We've decided, hey, we're willing, even though our expertise is in water, we're willing to take on the mountains because we believe in the cause, we believe in the mission, we want to see it through. We recognize ah, it can be difficult and it's uncharted. None of us have been there before, but we're going to do it anyway. What's a rallying cry and what are some even practical reminders that will resonate with us for weeks and months and years to come that you can kind of uh, leave us with today? I think the most important thing that I learned in my, own, in my own process over the last five years talking about this everywhere I went is there is a deep um, temptation to default to my own survival. So uh, very, very often when companies do um, pivots, it's because we got to survive as a company. That's, that's good. It's, it means you're acknowledging that the world is changing. But the thing I want you to remember is nobody out there cares whether you survive. Hmm. All they care about is that you care about them. I remember I was sitting in a boardroom in Silicon Valley with a bunch of the, some people from tech companies that you all know, and I was pitching them on a pivot we were making at the seminary in order to serve more and more people in Christian leadership. When I finished my pitch, a guy looked at me and said, you just told us why this would be good for the seminary. Tell me why this would be good for anybody out there in the world. Nobody cares if your seminary survives. They care if your seminary cares about them. And my, my advice would be, no matter what you do moving forward, make your emphasis on how you serve and care for the people around you, make their life better, and you'll always have some way to continue to move forward as a company. Well, Dr. Bolsinger, this has been wonderful. I'm so grateful for you being a part of this. And again, you've, you've, your work has had a profound impact on us getting to this point. And I'm convinced after our conversation today that it will continue. Uh, to have an impact on, on what we do and on all of our lives, whether it's part of Devoted or not, you know, just on, in our personal lives as well. So I so appreciate you being with us today. Yeah, my pleasure.